You're listening to Grow Yourself Up, a weekly mental health podcast hosted by Kath Cunahan. I'm a psychotherapist, writer, and speaker working in private practice in London. I specialize in the impact of our own childhood on our parenting and how we can heal and integrate our childhood trauma, wounding, and stress so that we can inhabit our full adult selves. Join us each week as we talk about all things growing ourselves up, how we can tend to ourselves in our parenting, generational healing, and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma. Together, we will become more self-compassionate, connected, authentic, resilient, and heart-centered, so we can live our own full and beautiful lives. As a listener of this podcast, you're welcome to come over and join the Facebook group. So search on Facebook for Grow Yourself Up. It's a private Facebook group of all the listeners. And did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan, and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. Hello, how are you? It's episode 82 of Grow Yourself Up. And today I'm joined by Caroline Boyd. She's Dr. Boyd, and she's got over 10 years' experience working in the NHS and mental health settings, and she supports parents from pregnancy to childbirth and beyond. Caroline is the author of a book called Mindful New Mum, and her published research explores mothers' experiences of intrusive thoughts about their babies. Her work has been featured in You Magazine, Grazia, BBC Radio Scotland, and Women's Hour on BBC Radio 4. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the postpartum period and um, explore intrusive thoughts and why we have them and um, all more about that and Caroline's experience of mothering. So Caroline specializes in supporting parents around anger and anxiety in her independent psychology practice, the Parent Therapy Hub. She shares psychology ideas on Instagram and in the media to help parents feel more connected to themselves and to their children and less alone. So you'll hear in this episode, we talk about intrusive thoughts and Caroline shares about what she found about um, in her doctoral research. And um, I also share about the fact that I had intrusive thoughts and some of the thoughts that I had felt quite extreme to me. And I was diagnosed with postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. But what I want to say is that these labels often don't accurately reflect what's actually going on. So Yes, I had a lot of anxiety, but when we've been caregiving uh, since our childhoods and we have trauma around caregiving, I think that what happens in the postnatal period is extremely complex in terms of what gets triggered for us. And in my opinion, the existing labels that we use don't necessarily reflect the experience. And often, even if we don't get a label, we're having, um, we really need a lot of support. So I would urge you to really consider how you feel about labels. I mean, I was extremely overwhelmed in the postpartum period, and I think that's an experience that many mothers have kind of really blindsided. Um, But it's not initially that we feel depressed. Yeah, so see see how that sort of sits with you and notice what you feel about labels, because we all have a different kind of experience of that. Also, what I wanted to say is that Caroline has a maternal anger course that she runs. Uh, It's a six-week course, and the next round is going to be starting on um, the 12th of January. So this episode will be released on Tuesday the 9th. So if you are struggling with your anger issues and would like to work with her, head over to her website, and all those details are in the show notes. And also, there's a set of journal prompts that go with each podcast, um, I haven't not got totally up to date with them yet, but go over to my website, which is uh, kathcunahan.com, and you can sign up for Nurture, Heal, Grow, which is my Substack writing. And in there, you'll get the prompts for Grow Yourself Up. And also just a word about signposting. If you are currently experiencing uh, intrusive thoughts and you need some support, there's some suggestions about who you might be able to contact in the show notes for this episode. And there's also all Caroline's contact details and details about how to buy her book. 
Okay, so let's dive in. I hope that you find this episode really useful. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. It's a pleasure to have you. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to join us. I know we're so we're recording this at the beginning of December, and I know it's very full on at this time. Tell me a bit about your path to motherhood and how you experienced your postpartum and about your kiddies. My path to motherhood. Well, I so I had um my two children. Well, one of them's ten, so I've got a ten year old daughter and an eight year old son. And I had actually changed career by that time. So I was in the midst of my clinical psychology training. So um so I actually <laughs> ended up having my daughter when I'd done my first year of clinical psychology training. Um and by that point trying to think where I was with that. Anyway, at some point along the way, I embarked on my research into unwanted intrusive thoughts about the baby. So um, so actually my experience of motherhood was quite entwined with my experience of training to be a psychologist. It must have been intense. It was intense. I mean, I remember writing up my doctoral research towards the end so I did a qualitative piece of research and I did index interviews with eight mothers about their experiences of scary intrusive thoughts about their babies and these women would be classed as non-clinical so they weren't experiencing mental health difficulties at the time or having psychological therapy and yeah, I remember a time where I was um, I was writing it up, going to the British Library, meeting with some buddies from my course, and my husband was travelled away a lot at that time, and and my children were very young, um, maybe like two and five or somewhere around there. It's all a bit of a blur, but it did feel quite intense. And then doing this analysis of mothers speaking of their experiences. But I think I always, I always imagined having children. Um, yeah, the experience of having them has been, well, it's been huge, really, in terms of what it's taught me about myself, about my relationship with my self and my emotions. Um, very, very profound. Yeah, it's very profound. I think it's that motherhood is really a heroine's journey and that kind of there's so much that we traverse in it, whether kind of almost whether we want to or not. Was your interest in intrusive thoughts sparked by some of your own experience or you came to that because you knew that was something that a lot of mother faced? Did you, I mean, did you also have that in your experience? Yeah, I did. So it very much came from my own personal experience. And after I had my daughter, she must have been about three months by this point. And, and I just experienced it was, it would tend to be when I was really tired at the end of a, you know, a long day, getting to know this little baby, but also just getting to grips with being a mum and all that it entails. You know, it's such a time of incoherence. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good word. <laughs> Learning on the job. Um, and I, so I remember being, it would be the end of the day and she had maybe settled her down to sleep and I would just kind of be assailed by these really quite unpleasant graphic images of me dropping her down the stairs. And I, I remember it really, these, Images. I mean, I should say with unwanted intrusive thoughts, we know that they can be a mental thought, you know, a, a, a worry thought like my baby isn't safe, but they can also be very graphic um, mental pictures yes, um, or an impulse or an urge. So Caroline, why don't you tell me a bit about um, the different types of um, intrusive thoughts? So they tend to be categorised in two ways. And Nicole Fairbrother and her brilliant team based in Canada were the first to make this distinction between accidental thoughts of harm. So for example, having a mental image of dropping your baby down the stairs or having a word thought. So maybe thinking my baby might suffocate. And, and those thoughts of accidental harm are really, really common. So pretty much universal. 
The other type of intrusive thoughts are unwanted thoughts of intentional harm. So those include, um, for example, having an unwanted impulse to throw your baby out the window or to scream at your baby. And these are experienced by one in two mums. So that's a lot. And I'd say it's likely an underestimation because of the worries around reporting these kinds of thoughts. And obviously, you know, they're experienced by new mums as really upsetting and they can feel really paralysing and destabilising, particularly at this time when you're grappling with life as a new mum. And they really jarred with me. And again, we know with these kinds of thoughts that they um, they don't sit comfortably with us in the literature they're described yeah. as ego dystonic, which is basically a fancy word of saying they just don't, they kind of clash with our our sense of self in that moment and our values. Yes. Um, so they, they really jarred with me. And I remember just feeling their unpleasantness and also thinking, you know, I shouldn't be having these thoughts. This isn't part of the mothering experience. And so feeling upset by them and also, I think, having some sort of distant awareness in my sleep-deprived state that actually, you know, with intrusive thoughts, what we want to try and do, and this would have been from my training, would what we want to do is try to let them go and and just try to sort of let them go with the flotsam and jetsam of all the thoughts and images we have in our minds and and so i i do remember trying to do that and um but finding them very unpleasant and i think i was grateful at the time for my network of mums where i was friends with someone um a woman i'm still friends with now who also trained to be a psychologist and I also had a friend who was a mental health nurse, so we were able to talk quite openly um, yeah. about these these scary and unpleasant thoughts. So that is how I came to it. And can I say something that that makes such a huge difference? I think because what you said about the shame and how we think I shouldn't be having these thoughts. This is like because I also had intrusive thoughts, and I really connected with like, oh my word, this, this, I'm, I feel like such a bad mother or I'm, I'm definitely going to damage these people in some way because I've got so many intrusive thoughts and that being able to openly acknowledge with your group of friends, that is like so holding. And I think that so many people don't have that at all. They just want to suppress it down and, and it becomes so much bigger then. Absolutely. That's the thing. We, we often attach meaning to these kinds of thoughts because they're so, unpleasant and attention grabbing actually by their nature and that's where you know we know that they can spiral when we start to have this this not only to have the thought but then the internal judgment of you know why am I having this thought what does it mean about me I'm such a bad mum and I shouldn't be having these thoughts and that kind of intensifies the the experience of having them I don't know if it's helpful just to say a little bit about because obviously unwanted intrusive thoughts more generally, you know, we know we know how common they are. You know, they're experienced, you know, by 90%, if not more, of people in the general population. And that's kind of having an involuntary urge, which perhaps some of your listeners might be able to relate to this, but, you know, perhaps being on um, a train platform and suddenly having the urge to push someone onto the tracks or um or to jump or to jump, jump ourselves. ourselves onto the tracks um or being in a really quiet building and having an unwanted urge to just scream really loudly so these are the kind of thoughts that tend to fly in the face of social convention kind of the most inappropriate thing we can think of um but it just comes to us and it feels very um, at odds with with our sense of self, and they they often map onto what we're doing at the time. So, you know, if we're um, certainly in my research, I interviewed someone, a mother who was under a lot of external stress. Um, so that also we know that these thoughts are often intensified by feeling really stressed and also feeling unsupported um and she would she had 
just as part of her walk, she would go um, over this bridge and she would actually have to hold on to her baby because of having this unwanted urge triggered by walking over a very high you know, bridge that she would have to hold on to her baby to try to manage this unwanted urge. And it's not that she wanted to throw herself off, um, but it was just the, all of that discomfort that came with that unwanted urge. For for mothers and dads, because we know that dads experience these kinds of thoughts too, but to a slightly lesser degree. So they're really, really common. Yeah, really common, because that's 50% that are happy to report. So, and you can imagine there's a big chunk who are not happy to report. Absolutely. So I met Caroline at, I think, the birth trauma twin in conference in 2020, and I really resonated a lot with what you shared about intrusive thoughts, and I think it's really important because when I had like a breakdown at like 10 months postpartum, I had kind of got a little bit, uh, in some ways I was thinking a bit deluded, like a bit deluded. There was a woman who had done, who had suffocated two of her children because they were very, very um, badly disabled. And she had come from South Africa and she had some family history that sounded similar to mine. I mean, what I could glean from the newspaper. And she lived quite close to me, like somewhere in London. And I was like, oh my word, I'm at risk of doing this as well. I got very kind of taken up in this kind of story, which as I relate to now, it sounds very bizarre, but the combination of sleep deprivation, the huge amount of pressure to keep two babies alive and just, I think the huge existential questions and the amount of expectation really drives us into a place where we we can be quite, um, it's hard to hold on to a, a sense of our reality, I think. And so I want to kind of normalize. And I mean, then I got additional help and I had antidepressants for a while and that really helped me kind of widen my window of tolerance and find some sanity. But what you just said about 50%, yeah, I, re- I sort of just wanted to give some additional, like an anecdote. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I I understand that because it sounds like your fears were of perhaps doing something similar. And and obviously with, with the story that you described, that woman acted on her thoughts and is a very different situation and context to what I'm talking about with these kinds of unwanted intrusive thoughts and I think it's really important actually to yes to emphasize that context is is really important so I just want to say um my what I just shared about my stories is quite dramatic you might hear and um, in contrast to Caroline's population so she made the point earlier on that the people that she um, interviewed for her um, research were non-clinical. And what that means is, is that they did not have a diagnosis of postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety or psychosis or anything. It, like, you may still be struggling without a diagnosis. There's a huge range of struggle, and I urge you to get help wherever you are, like you're deserving of help wherever you are. But what I did when I was having those thoughts is that I was really conscious of thinking, wow, this is very this feels quite extreme to me. And I talked to my husband a bit and he, I think that he was a bit confused by some of um, the way I was acting. And I had a therapist at the time and I went to see a psychiatrist who I had previously seen and he diagnosed me with postpartum depression and anxiety. And um, I had already actually been put on an antidepressant by my GP and that massively helped um, for me in the postpartum period, those antidepressants. What it did was it um, widened my window of tolerance and squeezed my feeling band. And by the reducing that anxiety, it helped me feel less overwhelmed, um, less kind of existential crisis, and I was able to kind of manage. And Caroline, it might be helpful if you say a bit more about why we have these type of thoughts. Yeah, sure. And thanks, Kath, for sharing your own personal experience, because I think it just, it really brings home just what a lot there is going on at this time and and how much vulnerability it can create. Um, and I would also, I guess, just to pick up on what you were saying about talking with someone, you know, whether it's a partner or someone you feel safe with, maybe a mum friend taking a bit of a risk um, and sharing, you know, perhaps one or two of the kinds of thoughts that you might be having. Because actually, because, you know, we know how common they are, the likelihood is that they would have had, you know, if not exactly the same, 
a similar experience and and that can feel incredibly validating um and of course you know as you're also saying if you feel that you need some extra support then speaking with your gp to see what's available locally um or accessing private therapy are also um really important options as well i think in terms of you know understanding and making sense of these kinds of thoughts I think understanding why they occur can be really, really helpful. So I think the first part of this um, is really to say that in early parenthood, our threat system is really dialed up. You know, we know that the stress of life with a new baby comes with m- so many anxieties, whether self-critical thoughts about not being good enough, fears of external judgment, or these what-if worries about our baby's safety. And just as a life or death threat, you know, if we're thinking about our ancestors, you know, such as a predatory attack, triggers our internal alarm system, all of these threats send the same danger signal, activating our fight, flight, freeze and appease reaction in our sympathetic nervous system. So that means that our body and brain is flooded with stress hormones, We breathe faster, our heart rate rate increases, preparing our body for action. And this, you know, we'll get the same physiological response to these internal intrusive thoughts. This is what I refer to as our tricky brain's way of trying to protect us. It's the way our brain has evolved. And I think the thing that I found in my research and in my clinical work with mums is that many women because of the lack of understanding around these kinds of thoughts and the perfect mum myth, as we've talked about, they interpret their intrusive thoughts of harm to mean that they're a bad mum or that they're crazy. And when I say bad, I mean, for example, one mum I interviewed had recurring unwanted impulses to throw her baby from a bridge um, as she was walking across it and then thinking that she was inadequate and judging herself to be a bad mum. So it's about, you know, feeling understandably overwhelmed in the chaos of those early months. Then you have an an intrusive thought of harm, then feel intensely bad about having it at all. And so you try to suppress it internally and it can become, it can become a downward spiral, which is why accessing help quickly is so important. And I think the more anxiety that you feel around the thought the more understandably you want to avoid and get rid of the thought the problem is that only increases the power and intensity of the thought so it keeps coming back again and again and sometimes people start avoiding they start avoiding doing certain things that might trigger the intrusive thought so if you think of a mum who has unwanted thoughts of her baby drowning in the bath she may end up handing that job over to somebody else to avoid the thought, having the thought at all. And unfortunately, avoiding situations that trigger the thought actually empowers it, as I was saying. So we need to break the cycle. So actually, the greater risk with these kinds of thoughts is maternal OCD because of this emotion, this strong emotional response, possibly also the lack of understanding around them. And we know that 17% of women are diagnosed with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder in pregnancy and postpartum. So I think we as professionals really need to be very thoughtful about how we're assessing these kinds of thoughts and the support that mums get when they report intrusive thoughts of harm about their babies. And I think the the only other thing that I feel is important to, to say about understanding why we have these thoughts is understanding them as a way of adjusting to the huge responsibility of having a child. You know, there's a little human that we need to keep alive and to protect. In my research, um, these kinds of intrusive thoughts made women more conscious of their power and responsibility in contrast to their baby's acute vulnerability. So it's, it's about having this precious tiny baby for which we are responsible, which really intensifies the emotional charge around these kinds of thoughts. And I should add, this may be reassuring to hear that what I also found is that mothers became more confident over time in their positions of power. 
and which meant that their intrusive thoughts of harm about their babies reduced in intensity and frequency over time. Yes, and that makes a lot of sense because as we go further into matrescence, we become more um, adept at managing ourselves, but also more understanding of that huge kind of trajectory because what you said about the having that precious baby and it's, we're totally responsible for it, I mean, along with if we have a partner then, but that kind of complete overwhelm and how our threat system is dialed up because I think that over time our window of tolerance widens as we kind of have more self-compassion, we get more help, we get talking therapy or like if we need um, antidepressant or something. And so then um, when those thoughts come, it's almost like, oh, yes, my old friend, this might be showing me something about I've got more anxiety at this point or I need a bit more sleep or I need a little bit more support this week or something. And so because I think part of our power is that we start to then care for ourselves a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. The more that we can you know, really practice those mindfulness skills around, you know, noticing the thoughts and, you know, acknowledging it with kindness, as you say, you know, hello there, intrusive thought, here you are again. Um, and, and then trying to let it go. And, and also, as you say, you know, see, understanding them as a sign that, you know, perhaps, you know, it's showing how tired we are. Perhaps it's showing how vulnerable we're feeling and we need a bit of extra support. So I think, yeah, I think self-compassion is is really key to it all. And I think the more that we can build on that in, in becoming a mum, where we, we are really brought to confront all these different and difficult thoughts and feelings, um, in a way that can feel very destabilizing, but it gives us this kind of radical opportunity to to start to relate to, to them, our thoughts and feelings, and therefore ourselves in a in a more compassionate way. With these kinds of thoughts, this might be reassuring actually for your listeners to hear. But the emotional reaction to these kinds of thoughts, which we're talking about, um, which are more you know very much anxiety driven is really important. So what we find is that women tend to feel really intense guilt, shame, horror, you know, why am I even having this thought? Um, and then interpreting it to mean that they're a bad mum or that they, and then that might spiral to, I, perhaps I should have had this baby, I've made a mistake. And the very fact that a woman feels ashamed or horrified about having those thoughts is a strong sign that she's not going to hurt the baby. So I think it's just really, yeah, emphasizing that the way in which these thoughts tend not to sit comfortably and provoke those really intense emotional reactions, you know, that intense emotional discomfort around having the thought means that they, they tend not to be indicative of risk in themselves. Um, in the absence of other risk factors. And actually, there's a big, big study that Nicole Fairbrother, who leads the team in Canada, has been doing some fantastic research around this and doing the larger studies. A big study that came out last year, which actually replicated that finding that these thoughts aren't associated with risk in the absence of other risk factors. And I think, you know, coming back to the importance of context, if a mother states an intention to harm her baby, then of course that needs to be taken seriously. Yes, absolutely. But you know, one one question to ask yourself or for any any listeners it to start with is um do I would I would I act out these thoughts? Do I want to act out these thoughts? And you'll soon get your answer, I think. Um but I would add to that that for anyone struggling with the experience of scary intrusive thoughts um to really to speak to someone you know whether that's a supportive empathic friend um or to to seek some extra help via your gp um because actually some therapy to have some therapy because actually having a safe space in which to talk about these kind of thoughts and to understand that they don't mean you're a bad mum and just to know how common they are is incredibly healing and perhaps just, I think it's also important just to make a distinction just while we're talking about risk is really just to, to say, um, in terms of 
these kind of thoughts and to make a distinction between unwanted intrusive thoughts that we're talking about today and the kinds of thoughts arising in postpartum psychosis. So signs of postpartum psychosis can include mania, delusions and hallucinations and action on postpartum psychosis are a really great resource offering more information. Um, and of course, if you are having an overwhelming sense or intention to hurt yourself or your baby and making plans to do so, then please do seek help immediately um, by calling 999. Yeah, that's for the UK, 999. But I think that, because um, I mean, I think in, in early postpartum, or actually quite long postpartum, there's sometimes such a sense of desperation and the weight of it is so huge that it makes sense that when our capacity is so pushed, this type of, like I always think, of course our anxiety is going to come up for our unconscious in this way. Um, and so talking about it is really so important to kind of frame it that we need tending to. We don't need like beating up on ourselves for this. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, there are times because with intrusive thoughts, you know, they also what we know is they also come with feelings of anger. And they tend to be more the intrusive thoughts of intentional harm. A very obvious trigger is, you know, the baby crying for long periods. And if we can, if we think of a mum, you know, waking multiple times in the night, cumulatively exhausted and feeling pushed to the very edges of herself. And, and actually hearing that baby cry, you know, it's, it's designed to elicit a strong response. Yeah, absolutely. I think in that context, it's not surprising that we might have an unwanted thought of intentional harm or an, or an urge um, perhaps to, to throw the baby, even, you know, not that we would ever want to do that, but to have, to have that unwanted urge in the context of feeling, you know, at very reduced capacity. And we know that when we're feeling so under-resourced as we are, you know, waking up multiple times a night, then we're more likely to perceive that we're unable to cope. And that's where, you know, I know that you talk about this a lot, but that's where we will be hijacked by our emotional brain. Our thinking brain goes offline and and we're just very much in that, you know, fight, flight, freeze state. And, and that's what we want to try to bring ourselves out of. And I think that that thing about many of us come into motherhood with a very sort of skinny uh, window of tolerance and then the sleep deprivation and just everything reduces it and the intensity and the jarring experience of motherhood reduces that. And actually, from a nervous system point of view, if we were able to get more sleep, do things to tend to ourselves, those intrusive thoughts naturally disappear because we have more capacity. But at that time that we most need the capacity, it's also the most hard to get it. And I think that because of how many of us are socialized and um, what we've learned about how to take care of ourselves, we, at a time when we most need to tend to our needs, we don't know that it's okay to tend to our needs or we feel like we need someone else to give us permission to tend to our needs. Do you know what I mean? No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this is kind of an overarching message in my book, really, which is to to understand the mothering experience in that framework of matrescence, which really places the mother at the heart. And And I think just really understanding that when we have a baby we go through this enormous shift you know it's psychological it's bodily we you know we experience changes to our identity the relationships around us it's such a huge transformation and the more that we can learn for many of us we haven't actually been taught these skills around like you say around emotional literacy and nervous system regulation so I think it's a time when we can actually learn to you know first identify our needs and and then to learn to you know tend to those and and that might be before in some cases that might be before we can respond to our baby you know with the understanding that if our heads are so full you know then we're not going to be able to show compassion to anyone not least ourselves um so it makes me think of that oxygen mask analogy which i come back to time and time again but it's such a simple one but actually 
thinking about the aeroplane oxygen mask analogy, you know, as the parent, the parent applies the mask first before the child. And I think similarly, you know, there are times when we need to learn to soothe ourselves before we can soothe our baby. And and obviously there are times when we can do mutual soothing, but we need to I think we need to learn those skills in an embodied way for ourselves. And it can be a huge learning for us as mothers. It's a huge learning. And I think that it's okay to acknowledge that we might have compassion fatigue in parenting, you know, because that's talked a lot about in the context of therapists. But when we're trying to build resources for ourselves from the inside out only as adults, it's such a lot to be extending that all the time. Um, what what have you found helpful in terms of, uh, well, first of all, did you did the outcome of your study that you did, your research, did that help you in terms of like, um, your own experience, and then what's helped you, um, like, uh, widen your window of tolerance and um, deal with your own emotions. What, what what have you found to be useful? I mean, I know that's a very big question. It's but. a big question, but it's an important one. Yeah, I think. Gosh, I suppose if we think about the, I'll come to my own personal experience in a moment, but I think. It feels just, you know, while we're talking about using the experience of of scary, intrusive thoughts of harm about the baby as one aspect of um, that comes up in in parenthood that feels really scary because it's not allowed, because it's not included in, you know, the perfect mother myth that I talk a lot about. I know that you do, too. When I talk about the perfect mother myth, you know, I'm talking about all those ideas and fantasies that we internalize from a really young age. So from when we read fairy tales as little girls and going up, you know, as we grow and seeing all of the, you know, the Madonna and child images that we have um, and then all the the images that we're bombarded with in social media of these perfect mums clutching their perfectly um smiling and well-behaved babies because <laughs> you have to you know, not only do, are you perfect or must you be perfect but your baby must be too so the the experience of of having an unwanted intrusive thought um of harm coming to your baby or of harming your baby just does not fit with those ideas of being you know quote unquote a good mother so i think that's one thing which i suppose um is really important for women to understand and which I certainly learned through my experience, um, particularly, I think, of, of having my first baby. But just have, you know, we, we bring to our role all these ideas and expectations, often they're unconscious, um, of how we should mother and of how we, you know, hope to show up in our mothering and actually the lived reality as we know is very far from the the calm coping mother who is always endlessly patient and loving so we often I think learn through the doing but I think the more that we can understand that actually parenting is got well there's just so much to say about how it's become this industry and and how these these myths of motherhood are just so fueled by certain um, parenting trends and pressures um, and actually how certain trends like gentle parenting which has so much to offer but I think more extreme versions of gentle parenting can become very mixed up in the our, our ideas of the perfect mother and having to always be gentle and and loving so I think just understanding that actually as mothers you know it's complex and and it's hard um and also it includes our humanness which means that you know we may experience unwanted intrusive thoughts we know how common they are we may experience feelings of anger in our mothering and and actually this is a more um whole and messy and real experience so i think the more that we can I guess, learn to relate to our emotions, including the difficult ones, you know, like anxiety and anger with compassion and turn towards those, um, the more that we can actually be with our own vulnerability and and then by extension with our child's. So, So coming to your question of what have I 
learned personally. Um, I think it's just understanding that I do have needs and they do need tending to. And there are lots of different, you know, spiky parts of ourselves that feel very difficult to be with sometimes. But the more that we can show them compassion or even just allow space for them, um, and that might be, I suppose, you know, I'm speaking about it in quite an abstract way, but it's, you know, the way we talk to ourselves and extending that kindness to ourselves, um, which may also be creating space for ourselves. So creating, you know, for me, it'll be time, just quiet time on my own, time connecting with other important identities. So maybe being with a friend, but also reading, writing, not not necessarily writing sort of academic stuff, just writing just helps me to focus my thoughts and 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 along with that yeah. I'd say journaling journaling and writing. journaling and writing and and then more stuff that gets me into my body so out of my head and into my body so swimming cold water swimming yoga um and just recognizing that of course we need to be able to do these things and yes it's hard when our kids are really tiny but actually just five minutes ten minutes can be enough to reset our nervous system. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, your point about the spiky bits of us, many of us have, have been shamed for our humanness. And so we learn to shame ourselves mm. for our humanness. And, and I think that nowhere is that more obvious than in motherhood, where we kind of constantly berating ourselves. And so it's like we have to excavate all of what we've learned is okay, like how to be. And it's such a relief actually to notice, oh, I'm allowed to have all of these things. Yes, I do need to kind of learn to manage my anger and my rage. I can't be like throwing things all over the place. Because I think what happens for many of us is we start to behave like toddlers actually in motherhood with rage because maybe we didn't have space held for us, but we have to then learn to to kind of channel that in adult ways. And I think, I know you do a lot of work on that, um, but I think that that's such a key aspect that it's not bad to have the anger and we can't kind of constantly throw it all over the place. And I love what you said about that five or 10 minutes is enough to reset because in your book, one of the things that's so lovely, that it's so holistic and that there's like focus on food. I mean, there's lots of focus on different things like boundaries and, you know, how to tend to yourself psychologically, but also the stuff about focusing on your, your food and what will be nourishing. And also um, the bit that I really loved was that you gave some yoga sequences that um that people could actually do at home and even managing to do 10 minutes of that is very sanity inducing so it's a, it's a really lovely resource oh thank you well that's lovely to hear that and yeah it is it is sanity inducing i mean it could be just doing child's pose on your mat or even just being in contact with your mat where you have previously found some peace um you know can be incredibly soothing so i think it is about finding those those things that soothe you um and absolutely just allowing yourself to to turn towards those feelings um which can feel so difficult or not allowed particularly in mothering i think just according to those myths, we're endowed with these fountains of grace and patience and, you know, this eternal serenity. And and actually, the more that we can connect with the complexity of ourselves and, and lean into good enough um, and just understand that it is a learning. And I think there's so much that's written about parenting and there's so much advice, so much of it is conflicted and confusing that actually that really plays into our experience of shaming ourselves and and actually so that's why I you know I would talk with and I do talk with mothers um attending my anger course about understanding motherhood within the patriarchal institution and by that you know I'm really talking about understanding all the power inequalities that come with that and you know there's obviously a, a history of um of oppression there towards women um and constructing women as less than so i i will, have always been struck by a quote from feminist psychologist paula nicholson who i think i quoted her in my research but she says it suits men for women to mother and you know there's, there's so much now where 
not only are we do we feel the pressure to be you know super mom super wife super everything and possibly also have a super career on top of it all it can feel very difficult to be to be actually making the choices that we want to if we're thinking of feminism more in the context of women having choices when in the you know in the couple relationship if if we have a partner just feeling actually quite powerless um or quite trapped in in the constraints of all those internalized gendered norms um in terms of what you know women are doing um that you know and, the, and mothers are doing very much still carrying the bulk of the mental load the emotional labor um the domestic work and still it you know it goes on so i think it's the work around supporting women to identify their needs is just so so important in the context of that yeah and to to really because i think for many of us we have to scrape the patriarchy out of our relationships yeah and 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 bring in a more like balance i guess or equality in terms of who does what and how how the mental load is managed how birthday presents are managed who takes them to their appointments who takes them you know all of that stuff who even sources the clothes and the presents and blah 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 and also i think that in some ways, we've really been thrown under the bus because the idea that we can work outside the home in a paid job without rearranging everything that goes on in the house has meant that we've taken on a paid job and then we still landed with all the, un, like the unpaid labor in the house. And we're like even worse off than before, you know, if we, I think in many ways. Um, and so like that book Fair Play and the kind of all this discussion about mental load and emotional load, it's it's really so important to kind of redress the balance because otherwise we're just like we're more exhausted than we've ever been like what a trap yeah and the more that we can I think recognize the landscape in which we are parenting and sort of perhaps taking on unconsciously all of those roles and responsibilities um, the more we can then actually name all of the tasks that that we are doing our partner perhaps isn't doing or maybe they are doing you know everyone has their own unique relationship and setup but I think there's so much to be said for naming the tasks and having a conversation about you know what you each experience growing up what your expectations about your different roles are from that and then actually you know what do you want to take from that what do you want to leave behind what needs revamping and and actually what we know about same gender couples is while there are still tensions in their relationships of course around sharing the load what we know is that they do share the load more equitably so it's not necessarily that it's a 50-50 split but it feels they, they share it in a way that feels fair and they do seem to be better at having those conversations um, about sharing the loads and their own needs and communicating their needs um, and being less bound by those gender norms. Yes. Yeah, because otherwise you can just perpetuate what you think you have to do, not realizing how much choice you have and that these tasks are not, there's no one that says a woman or a man has to do a certain thing. but it's like glued into some people's heads, basically. So it's it's really interesting to excavate that. And Caroline, I'm just noticing the time. And I wondered what you sort of wanted to tell us, if you wanted to tell us anything more about what's helped you bring in the most ease in your mothering. Like, how were you with self-compassion in the beginning? What's kind of helped you really welcome in the messiness and and sort of love yourself alongside that? Well, I think allowing myself some time and space to connect with myself or to connect with others around me um sort of understanding that I do it you know I exist outside of the relationships with my children um and and I think I suppose there's just well it feels like there's there's been a lot of learning through having them actually about how to extend that compassion to myself and I think often as mothers, we learn the hard way. So we get, we feel pushed and pushed and pushed. And then we, we get to a point where we understand, okay, actually, yeah, my needs do matter. And I do need to, to learn to attend to them. But my, ch my children brought, bring me untold amounts of joy. And I think they, they often ground me as well, actually. 
Um, you know, in the, uh, it's difficult sometimes for sure, but the times when I, you know, I can put the phone away and just be with them, you know, in bedtime, bath time, just sort of reconnecting with them at the end of the day if they've been at school. Um, it, it can feel very grounding, I think, to be in the present in a way which we often aren't as human beings. You know, we're often thinking, planning or ruminating on the past. And I think a real a real game changer for me has been connecting with values-based parenting and understanding that there's no right way. And the more that we get caught up in believing that there's a right way, the more we're we're really getting caught in that trap of of fear-based parenting. And say in the context with anger, you know, that anger, guilt, shame cycle. So I think Getting to know my values, um, which is a process, um, is really, really important. Um, and values, by the way, often gets overcomplicated, but I think it's, you know, it's just what makes you feel like you and what helps you feel kind of centered, grounded. Um, so for me, you know, I love being outside, connecting to nature. So and value for me, for example, is being outside. Um, so I, you know, I try to take my dog for a walk and feel grounded by the the environment and the space around me for sure um and then of course i i think it's worth saying the repair because we know that ruptures are inevitable in life and also in our parenting um and actually what's most important is working on a good enough repair and it's never too late to repair um but actually sometimes when we become mothers we need to learn how to repair with ourselves and that can be a huge journey, an important one. Yeah, and really, yeah, I really agree with you about that, really, that loving of ourselves and forgiving ourselves. So tender. That's like such special tender work. Thank you, Carla. That was really lovely. Do you want to tell us a bit about where people can find you and about when your next anger course is or anything like that? And the details were also put in the show notes. Sure. So, you can follow me on Instagram at underscore Dr. Boyd or get in touch with me via my website. And I'm running an anger course from January, but I'm not sure when our episode will go out. But I just do welcome you getting in touch with me if you'd like to explore your anger as um, a difficult emotion in, in mothering and, and getting in touch with it and learning ways to work with it. It can be very empowering. My book um, is Mindful New Mum, A Mind-Body Approach to the Highs and Lows of Mothering. And it's available in most good bookstores. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on this like rainy Monday. And it's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure to chat with you. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up hosted by Kath Cunahan. We'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart-centered, connected, authentic, and resilient living.